Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So pre-episode, Brad did offer to strip for this one. Brian said no, so it's all your loss. I didn't. I actually did. That's a mischaracterization of what I said. I said, <laughs> you can, but Patreon exclusive. Fair. And then you made a visual link to scrambled eggs. <laughs> and it was off the rails from there. So, uh, And usually Evan is the one without pants while we record, so. I live in my Lulus. Be honest. Okay. First of all, we know. Secondly, be honest. How many of our, like during the pandemic, how many of our remote episodes did you do pantsless? I didn't. The closest thing I would do to pantsless is being like gym shorts. Oh, wow. You have a lot more self-respect than I thought. Yeah. I don't like walking around with no pants on. Yeah. What if there's a fire? <laughs> well, free show everyone it's no longer patreon exclusive exactly okay well um welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk to you about um a lot of things you know all silliness aside a lot quite a few things including red wings hockey um a prospect profile world junior news things like that i'm one of your hosts ryan hannah i'm brad crisco and i'm evan so it's funny because we do a hockey podcast and more specifically, we do a hockey podcast that's by and large, almost always just about the Detroit Red Wings and uh, part of building a community and like, you know, getting to know the listeners and really being embedded within the, the Red Wings fandom and community is that everyone kind of experiences everything together in life. And so for those of you who have been listening for a while, you, you know that we never really uh, grow accustomed to you know, doing this podcast in the face of a lot more serious things that are happening. Um, But, you know, we do our best. And for those of you who come to the podcast for an escape, by all means, skip forward. And for those of you who, you know, at least want a little bit of recognition uh, of what's going on in the world and not just pretending that it's not happening, know that, you know, we're doing our best and we're probably not going to get it a hundred percent right, but we at least want to just acknowledge it. So, I mean, very simply put, our our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers are with the people of Ukraine. And there's not really words. There aren't there aren't words to to popular properly articulate the kind of horror and fear that's going through there. And uh, Brad, I know this hits home in a in a terribly special way for you, uh, being of Ukrainian descent. And and that's something I mentioned to you today that I experienced myself. 20 odd years ago um yeah and uh this is gonna be pretty far reaching in what we're doing in everyday life like it extends into sport we're already seeing questions about how this is going to affect future events that are happening in and around russia this is you know russian nhlers who have been pretty outspoken um in favor of the russian government in the past are now coming into question there's you know formula one is talking about removing their race rumored from from russia the russian grand prix it's it's gonna you know seep into everyday life and it's because of the scale of it so yeah i i wanted to kind of take a minute and and do my best to at least you know acknowledge it yeah and it, it's worth noting for everybody um i i know it gets brought up in terms of other things in the world but it, it's okay to not be okay and you don't have to have a direct connection to Ukraine to be affected by this and don't feel shame. Don't feel embarrassed if, if it's hitting hard because, you know, it's terrible what's happening. Obviously, you know, I, I'm of Ukrainian descent. My last name's Ukrainian. Like, you know, we English it up since my great grandparents came over about a hundred years ago. Like, you know, it's Crisco, but like in the home tongue, it's Krishko. Like it's a Ukrainian name. Like my family came from the Kiev area. Um, we're lucky because like my great grandparents came over and a lot of my family came over then. So I actually don't have any family that I know personally left in Ukraine. So we got lucky in in that sense that uh, at least we don't have to deal with it personally. Um, so yeah, I, I don't want anybody to feel 
bad about feeling bad is kind of what I'm getting at there. So, you know, the world sucks <laughs> sometimes, a lot of the time, <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, this is why things like sports exist because we need the escape. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's no, there's no undercutting the very real, you know, human fear and atrocity that that's happening and not to say sport supersedes any of that, but just to wrap it into the lens of, you know, this is a, a sports podcast and whether you like it or not, there's going to be conversations about this related to sport. You know, we say no politics and by and large, I think we avoid that um, by and large, uh, but there are going to be moments, you know, in the near medium and far future where this is going to be directly relevant to what we're talking about. So uh, yeah, like Brad said, it's it's a scary time. It's a pretty, depending on how old you are, this might be like a new kind of fear. I don't have any, you know, words that are a solution to anything, but we just wanted to kind of take a minute to acknowledge it. Yeah, it's uh, not not to make light of it, but there's that phrase that was going around the internet during the pandemic and the lockdowns where someone's like, I'm sick of li living in unprecedented times, but that's, here we go again. That's been front of mind the whole time. Yeah. I would just love to live 18 months without a historical event. Yeah. That'd be real good. Normal and boring for an extended period of time would be great yeah. right about now. Yeah. I swear to God, if I see another one of those celebrity imagine videos, oh my God, <laughs> I will lose it. Okay, um, thank you. Yeah, all. like no, we'll put a stipulation on it. the the celebrities are allowed to make those stupid videos, but for every ten second clip that we have to watch, they have to donate one million dollars to some sort of Ukrainian relief fund. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'll listen to that song over and over. Uh, okay, um, one more thing before we jump into the episode here. Uh, thank you all for bearing with us and uh, for, for giving us the space to speak to something that we are not even remotely qualified um, or well articulated enough to speak to. So before we jump into the actual episode, I uh, want to recognize that a lot of our work uh, that we do in terms of charity is in support of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. And one thing that we are doing on April 9th is a um, game or an event in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. So we are going to be hosting our second Winged Wheel podcast night at the LCA at Little Caesars Arena on Saturday, April 9th. It's a 7 p.m. game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Festivities start at 4 p.m. So join us in the beer garden. There's going to be a pregame show uh, sorry, a pregame uh, live recording of the episode featuring Ken Daniels, possibly Mickey Redmond, maybe some other special guests are coming. There's going to be snacks out for you. There are going to be uh, drinks available to buy. Uh, the bar will be open over there and um, a lot of swag, a lot more giveaways, merch, knickknacks, tchotchkes as they were affectionately referred to. Uh, and then we're all, there's tickets to buy for the game. When you buy tickets, you get access to the event, but also there's gondola tickets, there's lower bowl tickets, and those are wing wheel podcast sections. And then there's some upper bowl tickets, depending on what you prefer. And then post game, we're going to have an after party slash uh, post game meetup and location is to be determined very, very shortly. Those details will come out more food, more drinks, more giveaways, et cetera. Tickets are discounted. Tickets are discounted. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you looking at me. I'm like, what am I forgetting? Yeah. Tickets are just the, the tickets. You have a discount on them. You pay less money. Winged Wheel Podcast discount. I wouldn't tell you about it. Evan, <laughs> uh, Evan, that's your job on the show. Just tell people about the actual important details they care about. Yep. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog or check the link in the description uh, to find more details and get your tickets today. All right. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings are now fully in the tough part of their schedule. They played Minnesota, they played the Rangers, and then last night was the Colorado Avalanche. And I have to say, it's not like the Red Wings stunk the whole game. Only parts of it. Only parts of it. And against a lot of teams, like, say, Philly, that still resulted in a win. Against the Colorado Avalanche, that's a 5-2 loss. Yeah. Pretty definitively. Even without Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Yeah. No Nathan McKinnon. And you know, I clued into that about two-thirds of the way through the game like it really hit home i'm like wow they're doing all of this without one of the best players on the planet we only had like 75 percent of dylan larkin though that's true but yeah that team is um i hope they're still good when the red wings are good because i would love for that rivalry to come back even if it's forced 
Yeah, it would, well, it would really only be a cup final, which I'm perfectly okay with. We'll take it. You know? <laughs> no one's mad about that. But yeah, Colorado, save for, you know, parts of the second period, I would say, by and large, uh, were dominant. And uh, yeah, the Red Wings controlled a lot of the second period and they had a pretty good push towards the end. But that was about it. Colorado was the better team. No surprise. The fact that the Red Wings were able to carry play for 20 to 30 minutes of the game, I think, is a lot better than any of us were expecting. Yeah. Even without McKinnon. So, you know, um, in a season where you're not contending for the playoffs or a cup or whatever, moral victories still count for something. So showing that, like, when they're clicking, they can at least hang with Colorado is a good sign. Um but it was also in the same game very apparent that they are you can see the gap between the elite teams in the nhl and where the red wings are at currently and it's still a pretty sizable gap the the job that joe sackick has done has made it really hard really hard to hold that like firm line of no matter what you speak ill of the colorado avalanche at every given opportunity and that's that's your blood right as a red wings fan but truly seeing the the team that they've put together the players that they've, you look at their player acquisition and you're like, they got an absolute steal on some of these guys. Like, there's no reason why they should have gotten, uh, received Devon Taves for the price they paid. There's no reason why they should have been able to pay Nathan McKinnon as little as they've, they have over the years. It's, it's funny. Everybody remembers the Duchesne for tourist trade. And currently, the best player out of that trade is probably Samuel Gerard. Yeah. Oh, and Colorado got a first round pick out of that as well, which uh, I believe was the pick they used to get Bowen Byram. Was it actually? I think so. It might have been New Hook. Either way. I'd take either of those guys. Yeah, either way. Every time I see Alex Newhook play, I'm like, how do we get you on the Red Wings? It, I mean, they could. Offer sheet? Is he, where is he at in terms of his uh, ELC? He's very young. Yeah, yeah, but where is he at in his ELC is my question. It's got to be year one, I thought, because he was coming out Didn't of- Didn't he only come into the playoffs last year? One, yeah, he came out of the NCAA, so- One more year. A, yeah, one more year. Because there's a whole lot of weird quirks yeah. when you come out of the NCAA. So uh, the Red Wings ended up losing 5-2. It was two fast goals. Sorry, one fast goal from Colorado and another one before 10 minutes into the first, and, and they walked away from the first period with a 2-0 lead over the Red Wings. Uh, and then the second period, about halfway through, opened up with one of those plays where I really had to check myself to make sure that I wasn't really overhyping Moritz Sider, which is almost impossible to do when you cover him game in and game out. Though we try. Though we try. So the play goes, uh, Larkin wins a, a race to the puck and you know forces a break the other way where the Red Wings have three men going in. Moritz Sider carrying the puck, and then trailers and Philip Zadina and Raymond on the other side, correct? Yes. Zero chance Mo is giving that puck to Lucas because it's Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> if they're not living on a desert island together, they're not passing to each other. <laughs> Moritz Sider, locker room cancer, or Lucas Raymond, one of the two. <laughs> That's hysterical. I love that. Um, but no, he, he, he was carrying the puck down the right side, and from how the play happened at, at full speed, he shot the puck, rebound came out, and Zadina was in the perfect spot to bury the goal. And then immediately Mickey Redmond gets on the call and says, no, 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 no. Sider did this intentionally. He shot for the rebound to effectively pass the puck to one of Zadina or Raymond. He didn't even really shoot that puck. He passed that puck. He passed that And they showed the replay. Yeah, the way the way he was holding the stick, body position, that wasn't a shot. It was a quick flutter, low but firm at the pads to force the kick pad save. And then Zadina was there to bury it. And like you said, when when you're shooting the puck, generally your hands aren't close together at the top of the stick. Unless you shoot like I did from ages like 3 to 17 years old, which is why I wasn't very good at shooting the puck. When you're at the end of a shift in beer, like you don't feel like fully bending over. Yeah. (laughs) When you're trying to yeet that thing into space from your own zone. But even then, (laughs) he... And it was an incredible read because he's doing this as the break is happening. Like he's skating down and he's running out of time because he's approaching the net. So what does Moritz Sider do? He reads the play. He assesses who he has with him and then makes the decision on the fly to, you know, rebound pass off the goalie's pads and then 
executes it. That's the thing. He executes it. 20-year-old rookie defenseman. Is it the world's most earth-shattering move? No. No, of course not. A lot of guys would have had that thought at some point, have tried it, some have done it. A 20-year-old rookie defenseman who has the kind of defensive impacts that he has on the game, who's 50-ish games into his career, pulls that off, that is, and I don't say this lightly, elite-level thinking of the game. I think everybody pointed it out on Twitter when it happened, and uh, I'm no different. Um, and naturally, the people who hate fun games get into the comments, oh, you're taught to shoot far pad in situations like that since you're a novice, to which I didn't have the energy to respond to all of them, but I will hear, even though they're probably not listening. You're right and you're wrong. That play is taught all through hockey and is still taught even to professional hockey players. The difference is that is taught as an emergency valve. When you have no pass, when you have no shot, when you have no angle, or the goalie's just playing a good read on you or just playing a really good angle on you, you do that as kind of the last resort because something like this could happen. Mm -hmm. It's the, okay, all other options have been exhausted. This is all I have. So rather than shooting into the goalie's glove or his chest or whatever, you're you're just shooting that's to create chaos. And let me rephrase the last part. You're shooting to create chaos. It's not a planned play. It's the, I'm just putting it there and I'm going to pray. Most Sider could have still tried to force a pass through to Raymond, although I don't think it was there. He could have pivoted his body and dropped it to Zadina because Zadina was open at the point. He still had an angle for a shot. This wasn't Mo Sider shooting at back pad as the emergency valve. He went, no, nah, I can make this work. This is the best play right now. And it worked. He was right. That's what's impressive about it. It's not that it was, oh, yeah, it was good shot, smart read. Rebound. No, it was like no, nobody uses that as the go-to. No. And no. he did. And it worked. That's a guy who's so confident in his game, he's happy to pick out whatever move in his arsenal that he wants at any point because he knows he can execute and he's willing to try it. That's another thing. And they talk about this on on the Bally broadcast quite a bit is more insiders willing to try things. And for a team that has not only been devoid of talent for so long, but you know, they've had to play conservative even to get to the end of game sometimes. Well, they never didn't have any talent to try anything it, yeah. exciting. <laughs> So, you know, more at Sider and Lucas Raymond come in and then they're trying this stuff not only catches the other team off guard, it's it's just pure fun. Like it is fun as hell as a hockey fan to be watching that and to see, you know, one of your best players do something that you have not seen in like a decade. When was the last time we had a lot of fun watching hockey? When did Datsuk retire? That's, one th <laughs> That's it. Because no matter how bad the wings were, Datsuk out on the ice would do something. Zetterberg sometimes on the ice would do something. You go far enough back, Lidstrom, you would say, I cannot believe how fundamentally perfect that guy is as a player. Darren Helm. Darren Helm, baby. That tribute, the video tribute to him was nice. To see Darren Helm near in tears was um, was pretty touching. He got on the scoreboard, of course. First point since the last game against the Red Wings. Was that actually the... Yep. Good grief. Yep. <laughs> Did you see Max's response to when I was like, Darren Helps going to score a breakaway goal again? Max is like, tree bigger than Michigan. <laughs> if Darren Helm scored a Michigan against Detroit, there would have been defenestration happening. <laughs> that would have been that would have been the sufficient standard met for jumping out the window. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, Moritz Sider continued his point streak. Larkin also got a, an assist. So I think that's a five game point streak for Sider and an eight game point streak for Larkin. And then funny enough, the Red Wings' next goal, they were down 4-1 at this point. Um, it was on the power play. It was Larkin wins the puck back to Sider. Sider walks the line away from his dominant hand, feeds the puck to Fabry, and Fabry finds a way to put it in the net. So that's two for Sider, two for Larkin that game in terms of assists. And um, like you said, Brad, is it a good thing that the Red Wings lost 5-2? No, of course not. But I think Red Wings fans are realistic about what things are at this point in the season. Um and you have to take away what you can from it. Uh, Thomas Grace got the start again. Yep. 
How much of this is giving Ned the rest? Because I think they realized they burned through him a little much uh, in the previous months. Give him a chance to reset. And how much of this is, and this is a little tinfoil hattie, shopping Grace? It's neither. Grace has just been playing better lately. You think it's just hot hands? I, yeah. And um, obviously, I'm sure Ned being overworked is part of that because his last few games, he he wasn't bad, but you can definitely tell he wasn't up to the level he was for a majority of the year. And then arrested Grice played, comes in and plays very well, especially that game against the Rangers. So, yeah, why would you not go back to him after, what, five, six days rest after a performance like that? It only makes sense, you know. Who's going to give you the better chance to win that given night? Yeah. Uh, last few games, it's been Grice, so... You have to respect well. it. Yeah, honestly. Another lineup thing is, you know, this game started again with DeKaiser in and playing with Cider, and I, I don't know how long we lasted. Was it till the second period? Maybe not even, where he got pulled off and it was uh, Letty got pulled up to Cider's opposite pair or opposite side? Yeah, it, it wasn't very long into the game at all. I don't even think it made it to the second period. Um, Max Boltman of the Athletic Detroit had a, a good article today just on some notes for the Red Wings and he, you know, astutely pointed out like what's going to give with the DeKaiser thing. Cause it's very clear, like, you know, they've been trying to ease him in and out as, as they're able, but he can't make it for, for a full game anymore. And not that every goal rests on his shoulders and Max duly pointed that out, but it's quite clear that he can't keep up. Yeah. And we were having this conversation a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it actually might've been the round table where Max and Prashanth came on about, yeah, DeKaiser's role has been decreasing throughout the year and the Red Wings are very banged up and, you know, they don't really have any options beyond him. At least they didn't at that time. So, you know, what what were they going to do? They had to play him. They didn't have to play him with Cider, but they had to play him. Um, that excuse is gone now. Osterley and Stetcher are healthy. They could both go in there and there really isn't an argument at this point to say that DeKaiser is an upgrade on either of them. It's abundantly clear out of the eight healthy defensemen the Red Wings have right now, DeKaiser is definitively the eighth best defenseman. Yeah. They're just trying to make it to the end of the season. It's yeah. a guy that they want to you know, show some loyalty to. I don't really know that I'll listen to arguments about tanking because, you know, the they're Red not Wings, that get no. those right the hell. They're not the Red Wings aren't. The Red Wings aren't a bad enough team anymore where Danny DeKaiser is going to, you know, move the needle on whether or not they're going to lose a you game. You know how bad the Red yeah. Wings would need to be to tank and even come into contention for being the tank commanders? Like, it would be... Like, last two, three seasons bad. Probably worse to even make up the ground. Oh, you mean from right now onwards? Yes. It would ha- we would be talking about it for the next five years. That's how bad the end of the season would be. Yeah, the yeah. Red Wings would have to finish the season like 3-25-2. The Habs would have to find a way to transplant the curse that they put on themselves onto the Red Wings. Which, I mean, they're playing out of it right now, thanks yeah. to Marty St. Louis. Yeah, because the Red Wings already, ha- already have more points than the 19-20 Red Wings were on pace for. Over an 82-game season. Is that real? Yeah, because they're, what, 51 games in, and they have, like, 50 points, give or take, and the 1920 Red Wings were on pace for, like, 48 points. Yeah, they have 52 points. Yeah, so there you go. Because I remember, that was a big thing. Will they even hit 50 points this year? And when the season uh, abruptly shut down, they were not on pace for 50 points. All right, we're done. No more winning. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, hold on. 0.275 times. Yeah, you are... I did my math wrong. Yeah, mathing, it's hard. Yeah, you're right. They'd, they've already passed it by about seven points if I did my stupid math anywhere close to correct. So that's insane. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, what the Red Wings have coming up is another home game on Saturday night against none other than the Toronto Maple Leafs, who did just get their asses handed to them by the the quads of Marty St. Louis and the Montreal Canadiens. That's probably bad for Detroit. Probably. But if they won, that would also be bad for Detroit. So Yeah. It's it's probably bad, but you never know. If the Red Wings walked away from these games with efforts that we saw similar to, um, like, let's say their couple of games against LA, where they just really looked terrible out there. Mm. I don't know if LA is just a really bad matchup or those are two coincidentally rough nights. It's hard to play hockey in LA. <laughs> was it in LA or Detroit? I forget. Uh, the I can't remember where the first one was. I want to say it was in LA. Yeah, it was the 4 nothing loss. And then the second one was in Detroit. But the first one was harder. Yes. It's the LA flu. 
It is. But if the Red Wings walked into these games against like the Rangers and the Wild and the Avalanche with like those LA efforts, I'd be pretty upset. Even for a season where you're not expecting the Red Wings to make the playoffs, you're just like, come on, guys. But I'm I'm okay with what we've seen with the Avs as long as you start you you keep seeing that incremental progress. Yeah, you know it's tough to play the best teams in the league. Like they are all very good top to bottom. All of those teams are probably contenders this year. It's gonna be tough to play against them. So to at least see some competitiveness and some will to hang in those games. Yeah, I think that's really all you can ask for, and a few wins here or there. That's the cherry on top. There was, um, we have seen a little bit more of that, like willingness to hang recently. I think there was a, a little while where it dipped away from like December, January yes. time, but it's come back to some degree. And like you said, it's an obvious statement. The good teams are good, but especially this season, it seems like the good teams are really, really good. Like the the teams at the top are extremely strong. Toronto's on pace for like 125 points and they're going to finish third in division or something like that. (laughs) Just madness. Yeah. Florida and Tampa Bay are out of this world. Please tell me how the salary cap makes everything even. It it is weird because I don't – the salary cap makes things even on a grandiose scale but not a year-to-year thing because now in the salary cap world – The return of grandiose. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. But um, like a team like Florida in a salary cap world can be one of these teams with no salary cap. The league looks like this every year. It's just not Florida or Tampa Bay at the top of it Um, because now because of the salary cap, when you're not a contender, you're aggressively not a contender. Mm-hmm. because you have to rebuild through the draft and stuff like that. You can't just have a summer where you're like, screw it, we're signing everybody. It's not an option, so you have to have to do this. So it makes it even in a cyclical sense, but not on a year-to-year basis, it, which is still better than the alternative. I'm not anti-salary cap. I'm very pro-salary cap, but got to understand the difference. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a – we have an interesting discussion that I want to have next about more insider and awards. But before that, I want to tell everyone this episode of the winged wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement watching the games. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sports book from ease of use and registration deposits and finding your best bet to withdrawals, which are quick and easy, which uh, FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They also always run great odds boosts and specials uh, every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this, FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached, if you win, you keep the cash, if you lose, you get that grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. The Norris Trophy. Does Moritz Sider get a single vote this year, yes or no? Even if it's just one or if it's 100, does he get a vote? Yes. The Professional Hockey Writers Association votes. Yes. There will probably be somebody who would. That's my thinking. There's there's always... A lot, a lot of writers use that fifth vote as just, hey, this guy needs some recognition. There's probably one person out there who realizes what Sider's done for the Red Wings and will hear. Because is he realistically a top five defenseman in the NHL this year? No, of course not. Not yet. Not yet. He'd probably have his name on a Norris before the end of his career, before the way this is going. But you can make a case he's top 10. We had that discussion, didn't we not? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think 10 to 15 is probably the appropriate range for he is right now. But some people view awards 
through the lens of how you vote for a heart trophy, even though that's not really how the Norris is voted. Because the heart's got that weird most valuable to his team. Yeah. The Norris is just straight up best defenseman, but not everybody views it that way. That's a great point. Which so, defenseman has the most goals and assists? Because if yeah. you yeah, if you viewed the Norris the same way you did the MVP in terms of which defenseman is most valuable to their team's blue line, Sider might win this year. <laughs> like I say that almost like I don't even think that's a joke. Like you look at other blue lines in the league, there is probably not a discrepancy from the number one to the number two guy as big as there is in Detroit right now. No more at Sider and the Red Wings are talking about a top five pick without a doubt this year, in my mind. Oh, I don't even think it's a question. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt because Heronic has not progressed. Yeah, Heronic is is there, he's not a top pairing defenseman. Plain he, and simple, he's he's playing like a an all right number four. That's yeah. that's the reality of it. Uh, and beyond him, is there anybody above a number six? Mark Stahl. Beyond him, See is there anybody at number the six behind the net? Yeah. You know, like we talk about Lindstrom having a really good year, and that's because he's firmly a third pairing guy, like solidly. Like you're not talking about Dan enough coming in. Yeah, he's a good number six guy. Yeah, I would, I would call, I would call Gustav Lindstrom a number five, only because that's a harmless semantic. <laughs> but you know, fair enough. Your point stands. Like there aren't really like Nick Letty. We're hoping that his name value will will bring more return in a potential trade because he's not really reading around the league. Don't get your hopes up, people. He's uh, He came in hot, and I think he still brings things to the Red Wings that they haven't had before. Puck movement being the hallmark of it. but Unless it's to Philip Zadina. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny that you pointed that I out. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nick Letty's not... It's not been some kind of revelation for the Red Wings' blue line. He's been a decent number six. Mark Stahl is hysterical and purely chaotic, but in all honesty, he's a warm body for the Red Wings on the left side. Uh, serviceable number six. It'll be interesting how we feel about the five-six role when the team is actually, you know, good has a salt a solidified top four. Yeah, and we'll see what sort of talent can't push into that top four. Yeah, then we're then we're putting guys like Troy Stetcher in that role and not wondering, hey, is that the second best defenseman on this team? <laughs> It's funny because we're going to come for, come full circle. Like when the team was really bad, we were talking about like fringe players like Christopher N and Matthias Brome and whatever. And then We wouldn't even know their names yeah. on a, if the Red Wings were a competitive contending team. But that's the thing. They're going to get so competitive and contending again that the top four defensemen and top six forwards are going to be so built out that we're now going to start no needling. Content. <laughs> we're yeah. going to get needling on the, on the fringe guys again. But no, you're right. Like there's – Without Cider, this defense, which is already frail and not very good, falls apart, plain and simple. Without Cider, they are comfortably the worst defensive group in the NHL. Comfortably. So you're right. It should be just plain and simple best defenseman, which means there should be less variance than something like the heart, for example. Yeah. But for better or worse, voters often way impact based on how they are relative to their team. And their biases. Yeah. Yes, you're going to find, you know, a lot of people who play their the teams that they cover play these guys or they maybe they cover the team that these guys play for. They're where it's more, more likely to get recognition. And I just want to say I have no problem with like the fifth vote going to someone who deserves that recognition where I do run into an issue is what we saw in baseball that one year where there was that um, voter who intentionally left Verlander off his ballot to favor his guy for uh, the Cy Young. And that, yeah, that. That that shit pisses me off. But yeah, if someone throws Mo Sider a number five vote and leaves Kale McCarr entirely off their ballot, that's a problem. As we know who the top two or three guys are going to be. So as long as those top two or three guys are on everybody's ballot and then the rest is just for who the hell cares, no problem. Is Moritz Sider a top five defenseman in the league right now? No, probably not by any reasonable measure. You can't take away credit from those guys. Will he be in the future? I'm confident in saying, yeah. And I can't wait to get ratioed for this in 10 years when he, <laughs> for one reason or another. But legitimately, I like considering what we just talked about with the voting, I could justify it. I don't know that I would do it today if I was completely impartial, which I'm not. I don't know that I could do it, but I think it'll happen. 
Well, what's uh, how do we phrase this? Nobody on an NHL blue line this year has done more with less than what most siders done in Detroit. Yeah, quite honestly, he's come in and he's created, he's created all of this around him. Yeah, like him being a rookie does not factor into the vote and should not factor in the vote because the Norris is straightforward. Who's the best defenseman? It's just like like I said, you, we have to understand if he doesn't get the votes that he probably shouldn't have and that's the way the vote's phrased and it's not like the calder where oh everything factors and it's like yeah no he should win that running away it shouldn't be close but yeah that's not going to factor in on the norris but like i said i think there'll be at least someone out there who will give him one vote the rest of the league like you look at guys um I hate plus minus, you know, to to determine things. But you look at guys like Kale McCarr and and Colorado Avalanche and Devon Taves on the Colorado Avalanche. Like Taves has a plus forty and, and Kale McCarr is a plus thirty two. That is a still astonishing. That is astonishing. And then you look at Colorado's goal differential and they're fifty nine goals above positive or above neutral, right? The Red Wings are a negative 32 <laughs> in goal differential. That has decreased since the last time I looked. Yeah. The Red Wings are negative 32 in goal differential. And guess what Moritz Sider's plus minus is. He's plus something. I know that. He's not. It's zero. He's oh, even. So he's not, he's not minus or plus. Which is, again, you cannot. I, I am so sorry. I know this is hurting so many analytical hearts. But just to, it's it's the purest, simplest, dumbest way of looking at it. But I think it's genuinely impactful. Look at the minutes this kid plays. With Danny DeKaiser. Like, by no right. Would anyone be able to criticize Mort Sider if he was a minus 15 with the same goal? They would be like, oh, yeah, he plays on Detroit. That's exactly. We'd probably look at mine. We'd be like, oh, wow, it's only minus 15. Yeah. But he's he's playing half the minutes every game and he's about half the goals against. Yeah, that's about right. He's playing 22-53 a night. That is ridiculous for a rookie and then a rookie defenseman. That's ridiculous for almost all players. (laughs) With no support. It's not like he's got, I don't know, pick a guy, Shea Weber on his other as his defensive partner, and he's just playing 25 minutes a night because he plays with Shea Weber. No, he is the anchor of that pair. I, I know I said it a couple weeks ago, and it, it's worth repeating. I still don't think we truly appreciate the insanity of what Mo Sider is doing this year. It is it is actually outrageous. It is genuinely outrageous. He is a number one defenseman comfortably on a team that is not bottom 10 in the league. You said one thing, Brad, that I'm going to push back on. You said him being a rookie shouldn't factor into it. By the definition of the award. By the definition of the award. And that I can agree with. You want to know what the Colorado Avalanche broadcast was talking about on like Monday, I think, or Sunday, whenever the last time they played was? They were talking about the rookies in Detroit and Moritz Sider. And you want to know what the Colorado broadcast was talking about last night towards the end of the game? They were talking about Moritz Sider. The Colorado Avalanche broadcast, who... I mean, they're they're traveling into town. They're not going to be back plenty. You know, they're not in the same division or conference, let alone division. Cider is generating buzz. I think that's enough between people who see him plenty and people who are like blown away by what he does against their team. Like you look at teams like Tampa Bay and Colorado and Florida, like really, really great teams, and they see what Moritz Cider does against them. I think he'll get the recognition, and I think he'll get the vote. I, again, he needs to do the cool shit and the and display what he is against the big teams like like the new york's rangers the <laughs> <laughs> uncalled for but <laughs> like against the leafs because that's when the most eyes are on on the red wings like it doesn't matter what he does against arizona because they're playing in my basement in front of <laughs> just me and fred so that's a bigger screen than their jumbotron actually it's close <laughs> yeah. it's close so yeah like he's got to keep doing what he's doing i think he uh, he destroyed Burakovsky along the boards and then had the puck behind the net and Landeskog, who's no joke when it comes to physicality, came at him and Sider right on cue delivers a reverse hit and Landeskog stumbles and you're like, this kid was built in a lab. Yeah, He's made of machine parts. Like he is, he is solid titanium. At one point, I thought he got decked going down the ice and I looked at the replay and they actually just outright tripped him and just didn't call anything. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, are we going to talk about how like I feel like as a as an aside, last night's game was one of the more poor officiating efforts I've seen. 
I don't want to dedicate time to that because I'd rather do the prospect profile. Yeah. But, but I, I will I wanna, agree. I just want to call attention that, yes, we also noticed it. That one was bad. That was, There was a lot of like, there are games that are ref poorly where you're, at the end you're like, that wasn't managed too well. And then there's games where you're at the end where you're like, there was that call in the first period. There's the two phantom calls in the second period. There's a missed call in the third. There's a miss. Like it was too many individual bad calls. Like the one where Mo Satter got tripped going right through the no yeah. call. And then Adam Ernie, you, I don't even know if we can classify it as a push, Mid- let along a cross check. It's called for cross checking. It's like Mick immediately started laughing and talked about new age hockey. And I was like, that's <laughs> how you know it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, wake up the boomers. Yeah, just exceptionally poor all around in what has been an exceptionally poor season for the officials. And I'm not saying this is a Detroit specific problem, although because we're going to notice it in relation to Detroit. It's been a problem all around the league. Oh, can't wait to say the same thing next year. And the next, year after next that week yeah. <laughs> and the year after that and the year after that. OK, the playoffs will be fine, though. I'm sure there'll be no issues there. Playoffs. Oh, they just. Put the whistles in their pocket. Let the boys play, right? Let them play. They get paid less for the playoffs. That's why they call fewer penalties. It's actually a form of protest. Yeah, I don't Go refs. Um, that's a lie. That was a joke. It was just poorly de- delivered. Let's take some time. It's been a, a quick minute here since we've done a prospect profile. So uh, let's talk about a prospect that is probably actually relevant to the Red Wings, depending on when these World Juniors are played, because they have been rescheduled to the summer. Um, August, I heard, so it might not be relevant to the draft. Which is good news, because this player, you know, as the season has gone on, has been up and down, and that might have been a good venue for him to jump back up. So Brad Lambert, of multiple teams, um, is someone who's projected to be in and around the Red Wings range, maybe. Tell us a little bit about Brad Lambert. Well, on top of having a very strong name, um he also had lambert a- yeah related to lane lambert so and who was eisman's old roommate so yeah really great name okay not to respond to a joke is he actually related to lane yeah oh i didn't know that yeah neat lane lambert's nephew nephew okay yeah. nephew okay they're, they're related it still matters yes okay so i was i circled back last week and i, I came to uh, an exciting and horrifying realization because there's always context to everything and the stats don't always match the eye test or the analytics and so on and so forth. Brad Lambert is having a very Philip Zadina-esque season. It's very unique. He is, he looks fantastic. Mostly he's one of the knocks against him is he's not the most consistent player in the world. He looks dynamic. He looks skilled and he's making a lot of things happen. The counting stats aren't there and he has an exceptionally low shooting percentage. <laughs> So if you like Philip Zadina and you believe it, he's going to turn around. Boy, have I got a prospect for you right here. Um, so Lambert's game isn't actually all that dissimilar to what Zadina's is and was going into the draft. Um, he's not the fastest north-south skater in the world, but just phenomenal edge work. So I, I would classify him as a well above average skater, even if he's not going to win every race he's involved in but he's also not slow he can wheel um his hands are phenomenal in traffic or with space it doesn't matter he can make things happen and he's not afraid to work in space like a lot of small forwards are he's got a phenomenal shot uh which makes you question the you know five percent shooting percentage whatever he's carrying this year and he really only had the two World Junior games in, but he looked like he was going to pop off that tournament before it got shut down. So that did kind of add to the problem of, is he just having a fluky, unlucky season? Or is this going to be a consistent problem for him? Um, and the answer right now is we don't know. And we don't have more context to add to it, unfortunately. <laughs> It's unfortunate because you know what else? You know what other question is applied to Lane Lambert, which isn't – I've never heard of a, uh, being applied to any other forward prospect. I said Lane Lambert, didn't I? Yes. What the question is about uh, Brad Lambert in the position he'll play? Is he a center or is, is he, he a winger? Is he a center or is yeah. he a winger? <laughs> <It's, laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. That's what we ask of everyone who's projected to maybe be a center. But for a forward who's having so much uncertainty this year – there's questions about his play off the puck, his consistency. 
how well he gets on with coaches. I mean, switching teams like this in yeah. the middle of the season. There's always going to be that. And I, I hate commenting on that because we just don't know the circumstance behind the scenes. You don't know. But it's, people are going to question it. And it's, it's going to be a talking point going into the draft. So If you are going to make the decision to switch teams, then yeah, it's, it's going to be something that's it's a very real thing. You'd be remiss if you were a team drafting him or looking to without exploring more. Yeah. You talked about a skating and I think brad lambert is one of the hallmarks of this guy isn't the world's fastest skater but that doesn't make him a bad skater he's actually quite a good skater like you pointed out his he's really explosive his edge work is fantastic and he uses them to his ability in concert with his excellent puck skills he pointed out he's his stick handling is great he's able to make those plays and his edge work and his skating is all part of it does not matter that his top speed isn't fantastic it's it's the fact that he uses his his skating in a way that's conducive to the NHL game in my mind means I'm actually confident in his skating. Again, when he's on, playmaking, fantastic. His ability to read the game, fantastic. I agree with some of the, the more common criticisms of him, which is, you know, how is his play off the puck? I don't want to sit here and say his shooting is good when he's shooting so poorly this year. Exactly, yeah. And that that's a big hurdle. Let's, let's put it this way. He can rip it. He can. Has to dial in the sights a little bit. <laughs> Zadina can rip it. You give Zadina time in practice yeah. or a little bit of confidence, he can rip it. But is he ripping it? No. The one difference I will say between Lambert and Zadina's shot is Lambert does have that like curl and drag release where he's able to change angles where Zadina isn't. That's not really a tool in his bag. Lambert can shoot off both feet. Lambert can shoot around defensemen. Like he's got a bit more. And that one of the unique things about Lambert for being such a small player is he uses a, an extremely short stick, um, which, you know, isn't common for small players because obviously he's basically using a mini stick to try and play professional hockey. Like you. But the, the one other player who, relative to my head, I use a very long stick. But, How high up on your face does it go? Uh, just over the tip of my nose. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Yeah. But anyways, um, Cole Caulfield's one of the other guys who uses a very short stick as a short player. So not that Lambert shoots like Caulfield, but stylistically, if you're looking for a comparable, that would be the one. Um, yeah. Like Lambert has top three skill for this draft and fringe first round production so it's just what you like baby yeah so there's he is the ultimate wild card in this draft because i don't know if there's a single scout coach gm out there who to this point has a really good feel for what brad lambert is as a player because he has shown flashes everywhere he's played of being dominant like at the World Juniors, under 18, stretches in the SHL, stretches in, in, in finished junior where you just watch him and you're like, this is the best player on the ice. And then you don't see him for two weeks. You don't notice him for two weeks. You don't hear from him for two weeks. Even if he's playing well, he's not showing up on the score sheet and he's not showing those like brilliant flashes. So traditionally speaking, he does not strike me as a quote unquote Iserman type. We know Eisenman likes the skill, but the inconsistency, the changing teams, the... He's the guy he trades for in seven years. <laughs> he's that kind of player. No, he's the guy who he drafts and then trades at peak value because he doesn't fit. It's like it's ruin. Uh, <laughs> Do you have any additional read? Um, I think it is important to point out he plays on the worst team in his league, who is very young. Like their team is very young, comprised mm -hmm. of young players. It's definitely worth calling out. So, yeah, that's always important. Yeah, because it's a weird situation where he went from a very small role on a very good team to a bigger role on a much worse team. So if you're if you're hoping either of those situations were going to improve the context, they didn't. Um, and then I guess else for me, like his physicality, not like he doesn't need to be a banger in a grinder, but he, he's not a super strong player out there. He you don't look to him to be your your board guy like he he's not the most physical yeah uh he doesn't overcome players physically i mean he doesn't really need to because he's he is elusive but 
I think that's just another thing to point out. It is worth branching off that though, because that, that is a very fair criticism of Lambert. But the one strength he has is he's not shy to go into traffic no, when he has no. the puck. He is he is very willing to attack. I will say if the Red Wings are picking, you know, 13 to 16th in and around there, whatever, um, and Lambert's on the board, that is well within range for me to say, yeah, I'm willing to take the risk on all the things that we talked about because of the amount of skill that you're getting. It's an upside pick. Yeah. You take him and and if he hits and he turns into whatever he thinks he could be, he's a top five talent. But there's also with the questions around him and his size and all that, you could also be picking a guy at 13th overall that never plays a game for you. Like there's there's that risk there. And, and we've seen it with players before and we've seen it go both ways. So you if you're picking him in that range – you understand his strengths, you understand the upside, but you better be really damn confident in that pick or you can't make it. Um, okay, why don't we take tackle a couple other small news stories before jumping into overtime here? Uh, first of all, I mean, we we're talking about Ukraine at the start of the episode. Uh, it's worth noting that uh, I believe it's pronounced Yokrit. Yokrit, yeah. The Finnish team in the KHL, which is you know the largely Russian um, professional hockey league, has withdrawn. Sorry, they're the Finnish. They're a fin- they're a Finnish team that joined the KHL. They, oh, they I play see. out of Helsinki. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yes, that was a bit of a brain pretzel. Um, so they they have pulled out of the uh, Gagarin Cup. If that's still what they call it. Yep. Yeah. So they. Uh, you're going to see a lot of this. There's teams who have sponsors remotely related to Russia who are now pulling back. Um, again, I mentioned earlier that, you know, Ovechkin is is going to be needled and he's going to have like, there's apparently a statement coming from him in coming days. And I, I want to preface this before Ovechkin says anything so that it doesn't seem reactionary. I don't know what anybody is expecting from Ovechkin, but you should expect nothing, even because Ovechkin has been a Putin cheerleader for a long time. Even if he's looking at what Putin's doing right now and going, this is appalling. It's made me change my opinion on Putin. He can't say too much because almost all of his family is still in Russia and Putin is the type to make their lives hell if Ovechkin does flip. So it's there's a very real fear factor if Ovechkin opinions changed. And if his opinion hasn't changed, the statement's probably going to look pretty damn close to the same either way. So that's yeah, really changed a character for Putin over the past month or so. Yeah. So <laughs> as as much as we want to expect a, a Panarin level statement from Ovechkin, we no one should. It's not gonna happen. We shouldn't and be looking to our. If sports. it does, though, holy shit. Yeah. But, um okay why don't we jump into overtime here because there are a few good questions that i want to there's a lot of good questions but there's some that i I definitely want to call out um first one is is one from mike hernelstein who said uh, on monday's episode of the jeff merrick show uh jeff and elliot speak confidently that winnipeg ufa to be andrew cop is destined for the red wings do you believe they're on to something here and where would cop fit into the lineup if he were to sign in the offseason sorry one more time who said that mayor uh jeff and um Elliot, that trade deadline or off season? Off season, UFA, because he's from he's from Ann Arbor, right? So he's a Michigan boy. He's from you know University of Michigan area. Ah oh, man, he he played for Michigan. He played for the USNTDP. He's good, but he's that type of forward, bottom six forward who has had a couple hot streaks that kind of rides that rep like. I really, really like the player. He's young enough that you can get a few good years out of him. He's not like good to the point where he's going to sign a six, seven, eight year contract. So you probably only sign him through his age 31, 32 season. But he's like a bottom six forward, half a point per game guy who's turning 28 soon. This has his cap hit right now is 3.64 million. And that he's not taking a pay decrease on his next one. <sighs> Let me put it this way. I like the player, but I would tread very lightly given what other teams are probably going to be willing to pay him. He is going to be 28 years old at the start of the next season. Yep. With how Pew Suter is playing. 
and how Dylan Larkin is playing. Would you envision Andrew Kopp signed? We'll talk contract details in a second here. Would you envision him as a potential 2-3 switch for a center? He's not a 2-C. In no reality are you a good NHL team and he's your 2-C. Strixman is the kind of guy a contending team would want to pull in for some depth. Colorado pull in for like... Yeah. yeah. Can you win a cup with Andrew Kopp as your third C? Yeah, he's probably a really damn good 3C. Um, that That's exactly the type of guy you probably want as your 3C, where he can play every situation and he can provide enough offense that your third line is a strength. But you don't pay guys like that. You don't go in and trade assets for the most part. Yeah. Or big assets. Yeah. Like Andrew Kopp is very good at his role, but it's not the hardest role in the world to find guys to fill adequately. How would you feel if the Red Wings signed him, you know, four and a half million dollars, three to four years? I'd love it. He's not going to sign for that. What what do you think is the money or the term that's going to be the issue for him? Yes. How, okay, so he'll be twenty at the start of the season of next season. Yeah. How? What was the? What would be the max term you'd give him? Term? Yeah. Max? Yeah. Four. Max. You wouldn't go to five? No chance. How much money? Four and a half. Max. You wouldn't sign him to four by five. Knowing but you, why? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's we've a big been, but we've, why situation. <laughs> the Red Wings, in particular, have been burned frequently on damn near identical contracts to very similar style of players. It is, it is just an interesting note, and I wonder how much of this is just because he's a hometown kid, and I wonder how much like anyone who's from Michigan somehow always gets linked to Detroit. Well, and a cop is legitimately good, and yeah. he is legitimately Steve Eiserman's quote unquote type of player. The Detroit. Andrew Kopp connections make perfect sense. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying tread very, very lightly in terms of what you expect him to get paid versus what he probably should get paid. I don't even think it's necessarily insane for a player to take a hometown discount to come to Detroit, but not when you're 27 years old and probably going to make your last big contract. He's looking to back up the Brinks truck. Yeah, what you have to do for yourself if you're an NHL player. I didn't even say, I didn't even intro properly into Overtime. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Midweek is Patreon exclusive questions. Patrons, um, thank you all so much for everything you do to support the show. You're the reason we're able to have WWP nights at the LCA. You're the reason we're able to to run the show and do what we do. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support. And you will instantly uh, get a lot of social credit points in whatever country you're in. Connor Dukes says, if Edvinson is as good as we think he might be, do you think he partners with Mo or do they split them up to spread out the skill? Split. Like, you know how in Edmonton, when uh, things are going bad, they reunite McDavid and Drysaddle and call it the nuclear option? Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I think I think you're going to see you're going to see both. They're going to play together. At yeah. points, but it, there's going to be times where it's going to be only Cider and Edvinson whenever they are together on the same team doing stuff. And everyone else is going to be shit and they're going to have to very honestly say, well, we can't have just one pairing. Yeah, we just saw Mo Cider carry Danny DeKaiser for most of a season and still have positive impacts. Do not waste Mo Cider by pairing him with another really good defenseman. He doesn't need it. That- Although the goal is to make the team so good that then you can do that and dominate. Yeah. But realistically, once they're both getting into their primes, uh, you're not going to be able to afford to do that. (laughs) Because if Edmondson projects to be what it looks like he's projecting to be insider, we know what he is. They're going to be close. They might be close to 20 million combined. So you got to factor that into how you're constructing your blue line. Uh, Josh Brink says, hypothetical, say the most likely scenario plays out and the wings don't win the draft lottery. What are your top three teams you'd like to see Shane Wright go to? Seattle, um, big fan of the market, big fan of the jerseys. Aesthetically, it would be pleasing. Um, who else is near the basement right now? Not Montreal, not Ottawa. Let's keep him out of the division. Although, from a my God, this fan base needs a break perspective, Ottawa would be fun, but let's keep him out of the division. I don't think Eugene Melnick deserves nice things. No, he doesn't. That's why I said fan base. I think um, though they were a former rival, San Jose – 
if they continue to be bad towards the end of the year. Oh, man, they're going to need the help, too. Their cap situation is bleak. Yeah. I As much as it hurts, I would take Arizona over Montreal, New Jersey, Buffalo, Philly, Ottawa, Chicago. Islanders maybe could have them. Arizona for the memes, honestly. <laughs> if that doesn't save them, then which it won't. Which it won't. There's a lot of teams I really dislike near the bottom of the standings this year, which is fun, but also not. Pretty much Seattle's the only good option. Yeah. Red Wings? Well, he's in this hypothetical that Wings don't win the lottery. Oh. And based on the way the standings are going this season, the Wings won't. Be. Well, these six. I know. I know where we belong. Uh, Daniel Garcia says, what would be the best worst case scenario for Daniel's a brand new name level sponsor. So welcome, Daniel. And thank you for the support says uh, what would the best worst case scenario be for this team? Obviously losing out is damn near impossible, but impossible. But what position would you like the team to finish? Um, you don't want them to fall off too much. Uh, the best case scenario is they hang around where they are and they somehow jump. They somehow win a lottery and jump up to like, three, four, five, realistically, best worst case scenario, because somehow they have built a cushion between them and the truly bad teams in the league, which is fun and a good sign, but really sucks for the draft. Uh, Eric Sankowski says, maybe this has been asked, but I want to make sure uh, what jersey number does everyone wear and why did you pick it? Also to follow up on streaming NHL hits 2002, Evan, the Dolphin emulator works wonders. Uh, I'm a big Brendan Shanahan is my favorite player of all time. So I wear 14. Um, this season with Laura, I'm wearing number 11 because Mika told me to pick it and never gave me an explanation why, but I wasn't, <laughs> she gonna, doesn't have to, no, wasn't going to say, um, but for the last 15 years before this, I've been wearing number 19 for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> this one, what do you wear? Um, on my beer league team, I'm number two because that was the last person to join the team. <laughs> and, uh, um, two is a shitty. Tell guy. me you yeah. play Ford because that would look so weird. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, somebody wants my number two. I'm like, I'm, Take you it. could have it. Like, I don't understand. But Give anyway, five bucks. Um, yeah. That's what number I wore. <laughs> uh, this is a very fair comment. I think I the one uh, for the few years you played beer league with us, you had a weird number, didn't you? 67. That was it. Is that, please tell me that's just because it's a troll in the leaves. No, but oh. yes, maybe. <laughs> uh, this is a very fair comment that's worth reading out. Sam W says, I want to say I was a little shocked to hear Ryan mentioned he had never seen someone reverse deke to steal a puck like Larkin did on the back check the other night, faking a stick lift on one side and going to the other. After watching Datsuk all these years, it just felt a little wrong. Yeah, how incredibly fair for you to say that and how f- stupid of me to say it is that far removed from – it feels like a century. We were talking earlier this episode. You've also had more than a few moments on this podcast where you've gushed about Mark Stone, so. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I My brain has put a mental block between the Red Wings of old and now because we had to cover so much of that time. And I just – it feels like – etern- Yeah, it feels like an eternity, so I can't see past it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like everything blends together. It's like, who is your favorite player on the 2008 Cup winning Red Wings? Uh, Doug Brown? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Was Gordy still playing? Like, okay, we have time for one war. One more it says, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> As a slip up, banana is larger. Says, "Hey fellas, uh, with Verona coming back sometime this season, what would your dream power play units look like? Do you put him on the second unit? Also, what makes a good bumper player other than being Braden Point? Thanks, Brett. My dream power play look like? Well, it would start with Datsuk in the bumper, and then <laughs> we work out from there. But no, um, on the Red Wings, there's not enough talent right now to really make." that second unit anything above average so i would just stack the hell out of the first unit and pray they score in the first 45 seconds so i'd go cider um at the point verona right flank your body makes so much noise i know <laughs> i'm i apologize yeah. <laughs> your eye was just making i heard your i don't know why it does it the other one doesn't but that one does that was your eye that was his yes. eyeball that's why i interrupted what yeah <laughs> i usually save that for my are only you, fans but are you dying <laughs> he's how he had to have died three times 
We're doing weekend at Bernie's twice a week. God, I hope the mic picked that up and pe- so people know that his eye was made. <laughs> was, was there not a only- washer outside? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think I, – I know I'm an asshole and I don't try to be, but sometimes your body does stuff and I cannot help but call it out. And it sounds brash, but I'm like – Ah, no, that one gets called out all the time. Oh, my God. I don't know why. can't be right. Sorry, what was I talking about? I don't know, but we need to call a doctor and a priest. <laughs> I don't care the order. <laughs> Oh, power place. That was what we were talking Okay. Cider, top, Raymond, left half wall, Verona, right half wall, Larkin, bumper, Bertuzzi, net front. And I do not care what they do with the second unit. It's I have a hard time advocating against Robbie Fabry because I think he's done he's done enough. I it's, have a very easy time advocating against Robbie Fabry on the power play. I there, there He's been, a good player and I like Robbie Fabry, but there are better options. There are better options. And I, w- I would say a team without Verona, I can't really complain too much about him being there. I, I, it wouldn't be my personal choice all the time, but he's also done quite a bit. And I've sung Fabry's praises, I think, very justified in a very justified way this year. A healthy Verona should be there instead. The only guy on the second unit right now who probably should play on an NHL power play is Philip Zadina. So moving Robbie Fabry to that unit is not going to save it. So like I said, that's why I'm saying just load the hell out of the first unit. If there were two more good options in the second unit, then yeah, you probably move Verona or someone else to that unit to have the full options. And you can definitely then justify keeping Fabry on the first unit as kind of the, we're putting him there. So that way we can attempt to score for the entire two minutes. Yeah. The Red Wings do not have the talent to do that yet. And what was the, Oh, second part of the question. What makes a good bumper? It's an overly simplistic answer. Whoever can process the game faster than everybody on the ice. Cause you have to be able to do everything. You got to shoot quickly. You have to make passes quickly. You have to skate to the open ice at the exact right time, which is the hardest part about the bumper. That's what makes Braden Point so good at it because he's sliding to that spot before the puck even gets to the down low option. He knows that puck's going there. He's already moving. So then he's an option for a one-touch pass rather than, oh, this guy wants me to get open. I'm going to slide out and the defenseman's just going to go, oh, I'm going to go with you. Then. Yeah. The generation of movement and space is key, and it's a lot of it's kind of hidden in what they do. A lot of subtleties. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. I appreciate everyone tuning in, and I appreciate everyone bearing with us as this podcast, um, as we do our best. Um, but thank you all so much for for your your love and support. We'd like to thank all of our listeners. Uh, the sponsor of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, our name-level sponsors on Patreon, uh, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slamma Jamathong, Taylor Tadgel, Matthew M. Rice, uh, B. Diz, Bruce, Boos Lobsinger, Carl Brutanen-Nanaluski, Chimmy Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Grape Flavored Lubrication, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, RA, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, uh, The Window. Friendly Neighborhood Window Peeper, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Brad's Dad Moan, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so much. Talk to you again on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.